Good morning. I know um, you all have probably a bajillion things to do this week. Um, we're coming to the close of a semester. I know you're very busy. But I hope you had a restful weekend. I hope that you were able to rest and celebrate a little bit over Easter um, as we remembered that Jesus is alive. And my prayer is that that reality continues to sustain us through the end of the semester. I don't know about you, um, but sometimes in our house, Sundays are kind of rough. Um, evenings, Sunday evenings are kind of rough in our house. And it's because this thing called Sunday blues, it sort of just descends on our house. Um, our kids feel it when they are getting their backpacks ready for school and when they have to go get ready for bed. Um, I feel it when I make our weekly menu and make our grocery list and start to talk about the calendar with my husband sort of that transition, right, from like the rest of the, the rest that we found in the weekend and the rhythms of the weekend, knowing what's ahead of us for the week. I don't know if anybody else experiences Sunday blues, but it's a very real thing in our house. And sort of we sort of just started to anticipate it. Like we know that that's going to happen and we cry about it and move on. <laughs> but this, this past Sunday Easter, um, I felt, I really felt those Sunday blues even more keenly and I think it's because it was Easter. Um, as I, I was packing away kind of our Easter decorations, we don't have a lot, but we do have 139 plastic eggs. I counted them. <laughs> so as I was, I was putting away our eggs and um, kind of putting the leftover cheesecake in the fridge and taking down whatever little stuff we had around the house, I was sad. I was really sad. And it felt more sad than just my normal Sunday blues. It felt like one day wasn't enough to celebrate the significance of Easter. It felt like we had 40 days of Lent, right? And 40 days of anticipation and Good Friday and Silent Saturday. And then Easter just kind of came and went. And I wanted more. And I didn't know what to do with that. And so as I was sitting in it, I started to think about how that maybe that desire for more was actually the very right response to Easter. The very right response to the end of the day, Easter. And so I started thinking about it and I was talking about it with my husband a little bit. And I, I went back to the John, the book of John. It's the book that I've been sitting in for a while. It's where I've been camping out for most of Lent. And I was really happy to see that the book of John has some chapters at the end after the resurrection. And it talks about how Jesus came to his friends and what his experience with them was like. And so um, I want to spend just a couple of minutes with y'all in John chapter 20 and 21. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to open there. But what we find in the book of John is actually sort of a prolonged celebration of the risen Lord, a prolonged and extended Easter. And it's been really comforting to me. John is actually the longest account of what Jesus was doing during the days between his resurrection and his ascension. Um, and it helps to sort of emphasize Easter. Um, and what we see in these two chapters in the book of John is that Jesus, the same Jesus, the incarnate Jesus, the crucified Jesus, the risen Jesus, the same Jesus is still on the move. And he is actively seeking and embracing and loving. And it's the same with us. Jesus is alive 
and he is actively seeking, embracing, and then loving each one of us. So first, just a couple of observations from these two chapters. First, the resurrected Jesus appeared to various people. And you're like, duh, (laughs) that might seem obvious. But it is important to stop for a second and consider what this means. We know from Acts chapter 1 that Jesus spent about, spent 40 days on earth after his resurrection. And that he spent these intentionally with his disciples, with his closest friends. The gospels speak of 10 different appearances of Jesus. Um, Five of them occur actually on the day of his resurrection and then five further times before he ascended into heaven. And John highlights for us four of them. So John, he appears to, or in John, Jesus appears to Mary in the garden where he had been buried. He appears to the disciples when they were locked in the upper room. And those two were actually on the actual day of his resurrection. Eight days later, Jesus appeared to Thomas. And then he had breakfast on the beach with his disciples. The point of this is that Jesus came to them. Jesus made himself known to them. He reached out to them. And what I love about these stories is that they highlight the pursuing love of Jesus yet again. We often talk about how the love of Jesus took him to the cross, now the love of Jesus kept him there for us, and we should talk about that love, and we should sing about it, and we should wonder at it, and we should let it sink down deep into our hearts. The love of the triune God is at the core of the gospel. But I think what I'm realizing as I was sitting in these two chapters is that the love of Jesus does not stop at the cross. Look at how Jesus still loves even after his resurrection. He demonstrates his love by going after his friends. His love chases them down. He finds them where they are. The resurrected king, he doesn't just sit back and wait for them to find him. He pursues them because he loves them. Remember middle school? All of us just shuddered, right? There's a visible shudder in the room. Do you remember how those social dynamics work? My daughter's about ready to go into middle school, so we're talking a lot about this. Um, They were stressful, right? Because they were always changing. So one day, you might be great friends with the cool kid, right? And they might sit with you at lunch and even like acknowledge your presence at the basketball game. But then what happened when the cooler kid started talking to that kid? All of a sudden, once the cool kid rose in social prestige, you were no longer important to them. They were no longer interested in you or concerned about you, right? Do we remember this dynamic? Hopefully it's over. Maybe not. (laughs) Maybe it didn't end in middle school. My point is, Jesus was the firstborn of all creation, the risen and glorious King of Kings, but he did not desert his ragtag group of socially insignificant friends the moment he rose from the grave. Sometimes I wonder why Jesus just didn't ascend to the, glo- to the Father immediately following his resurrection. And I think there's a lot of theological and very important things that I don't have time to go into right now, but one probably of the simplest Um, truths about why he did not ascend right away has to do with consistency. These interactions with his disciples demonstrate that even though the risen Jesus was victorious over sin and death and he was walking around in a glorified body, his 
deep, deep love was and is and always will be the same. He is still a savior who pursues us with this love. He still comes and finds us and he still reaches out to us and he will never stop. Okay, second observation. The resurrected Jesus met each person in a specific way. In other words, he, just, he demonstrated his particular love for particular individuals in the way that he interacted with them in his resurrection, or in the day after his resurrection. Mary, right, where was Mary? She was lost in her grief, weeping and distraught because she could not find the body of Jesus. And when Jesus appears to her, he demonstrates compassion and patience. He asks her questions. Why are you crying? Who are you looking for? She still doesn't recognize him, right? And so Jesus then, he does something interesting. He addresses her particularly, Mary. He said her name, and this is the moment she realized who she was talking to. The word made flesh spoke a word, her name, and she realized who he was. But for the disciples, it was different. Somehow, the resurrected Jesus entered a locked room where his friends were gathered. He did not ask questions this time. Instead, he knew that they were afraid, and so he wasted no time in calming their fears. He greeted them with a message of comfort. Peace be with you. And scripture doesn't tell us like why they were hanging out in a locked room, but I think we can use our sanctified imaginations to sort of envision the fear that they probably felt when they saw Jesus crucified and arrested. And in fact, scripture tells us they, that they all fled, right? And perhaps they were still afraid that the Romans were coming after them next. So Jesus, he didn't bust into that room in all of his glory. He could have, he didn't. He appeared and then he proclaimed to them the message that he'd been proclaiming all along, that he was on a mission to restore peace, to bring shalom by reconciling us to God. And John 20 verse 20 says that he said peace and then he showed them his hands and his side. The Prince of Peace greeted the disciples in the midst of their fear with both a proclamation of shalom and evidence of what restoring shalom had cost him. The scars on his hands and the scar on his side were visible signs that peace with God, true shalom, was once again possible. Okay, and then we have poor Thomas. Growing up, I always heard, heard him referred to as Downing Thomas, right? And he was always sort of the villain. Not as bad as Judas, but definitely not as cool as Peter and the rest of the gang. Um, but Jesus met him in a special way. Eight days after his first post-resurrection appearance to the disciples, G John records for us that Jesus, he once again mysteriously appears in the room and stands among them. And this time, Thomas is there. Now, again, the doors were locked. This is eight days after his first appearance. It makes me wonder, like, poor Thomas gets a bad rap, but I think everyone else was still afraid. Maybe everyone else was still doubting. The doors were still locked. And what does Jesus do? He again says to them, peace be with you. And then he turns to Thomas and without a word of condemnation or even a raised eyebrow, he invited Thomas to do what? 
to touch his hands and to touch his side. And the purpose is clear. It's to help Thomas believe. And this interaction is really profound for many reasons, but I love that this is also so very deeply compassionate and also so very earthy. It emphatically pronounces that Jesus does not reject the powerful experiences of our embodiment, but instead invites Thomas to believe precisely through his embodiment. Touch, feel. So, so far in these two chapters, Jesus and his love for his friends appeared to them and appealed to their sense of hearing, Mary, their sense of sight, disciples, and their sense of touch with Thomas. In John 21 then, we see Jesus appeal to the disciples' sense of taste. For the third time, Jesus appeared to the disciples on the beach next to the Sea of Tiberias. As the day broke, we're told that Jesus stood on the shore and he called out to his disciples. And he was like, hey, how's fishing going? And they were like, not great. We don't have anything. Jesus says, do you have any fish? And they say, no. And then he does something that he did earlier in his ministry in John chapter 6. He says, hey, put your nets over on the other side of the boat. And they do it. But what I love is they catch so many fish, and then there's, Tom, or there's Peter, right? Dear, dear Peter. We love Peter. And he and John have this little interaction, and John says, hey, look, it's, it's the Lord. And Peter, we're told, jumps straight into the boat, leaving the rest of the disciples to deal with the fish, right? And we don't know what his purpose was. Scripture doesn't tell us why he did it or even what it accomplished. We just see Peter. He's ready to meet Jesus, and he jumps in. And so when they finally get to the shore... Jesus is there, sitting next to a charcoal fire. Imagine that for a second. They walk up to the beach, they could smell the smoke. They could hear the fire crackling. It says that he was already cooking some bread on the fire. And then in verse, 20, uh, verse 12 of chapter 1, we read, uh, sorry, of 21, we read, Jesus said to them, come and have some breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Jesus, the bread of life, the living water, invited his hungry disciples, whoa, that was close, to come and eat breakfast with him to come and to taste his goodness, literally. They were eating the fish that he had just moments before directed into their nets. Here's what I'm getting at. Jesus does not love in a general way. He loves specifically and particularly, and he loves holistically. He loves in a way that our eyes can hear, our eyes can see it, our ears can hear it, Our hands can touch it. Our mouths can taste it. We listen to beautiful music. We see his creation all around. We feel the hug from a friend. We taste it in the deliciousness of an orange or a sip of good coffee. Jesus knows exactly what we need to believe that he is who he said he is. And he will meet us in those places, particularly and specifically, 
His love can break through our doubts and our sadness and our loneliness and our pain. And his love breaks through again in particular and specific ways. It breaks through in our embodiment, not in spite of it. These interactions have been really encouraging to me over the last couple of days. I'm thankful that they are recorded in scripture for our benefit. In fact, John tells us why they were recorded. He tells us they, they, they were written down so that we may believe that Jesus is the son of God and that by believing we may have life in his name. Because um, not only do these interactions demonstrate the consistent love of Jesus, a love that pursues and a love that loves particularly, but it also demonstrates to us that Jesus does what he says he's gonna do. He is who he said he is. In John 16, so a couple of chapters before, just a few hours before his arrest and his death, Jesus told his disciples, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice And get this, no one will take your joy from you. This matters because 40 days after he rose from the dead, Jesus once again left his disciples. But I have to believe that when they watched Jesus ascend, it felt different this time. I have to believe that remembering how Jesus found them and came to them in their sorrow, that that shaped their hearts. And I have to believe that touching Jesus' scars and seeing him eat breakfast with them on the beach, that that deeply informed their sorrow at seeing him ascend to the Father. He did what he said he would do before. He will do it again. He sent his spirit just as he said he would. And he will come back just like he said he will. And we will once again see him. And when we do, nothing will take our joy from us. So if you feel like Easter was cut short, I'd encourage you to meditate on these interactions. Spend some time reading John chapter 20 and 21. Flip over to Luke 24 and to Mark 16. Pay attention to the way that the love of Jesus continued to seek, embrace, and love his friends. And know that the risen Savior loves you and he loves me with the same intensity and commitment that led him to die for you. And know that the risen savior loves you with the same care and particularity that he did for his friends. And know that Jesus will do what he said he will do. He will come back again and we will have joy that no one can take away from us. Let's pray. Lord God, we're so grateful for these interactions and how they were recorded for us in your word. How we get to see the risen Lord loving and pursuing and meeting us where we need to be met. And Lord, I pray that for these students and I pray that for me as we go from here, Lord. I pray that your pursuing love would be so evident that we would never doubt your presence or your nearness or your love for us. Help us to live into that love, Lord. We pray that you would do that through the power of your spirit and in the name of Jesus. Amen.